0: Making sure our community is safe and accessible is a year-round responsibility, which can be challenging during the cold months of winter. Thanks for tuning in. We're dedicating this episode of Iowa City Matters to discuss how the city aims to do that and what role you play in the process. My name is Jack Brooks. I'm a media production specialist for the city, and I've been a producer of this podcast since its inception. Today, I'll be playing your host for this winter guide, and I'll be joined by a few colleagues who will help me lead the conversation. Let's meet them. First up, we've got Brock Holub. With over 15 years of construction and municipal experience, Brock has been the Streets and Traffic Engineering Superintendent for just over two years. We'll have enough questions about the cold, so to kick us off, why don't you tell us your favorite warm weather activity?
1: Sure, Uh, my favorite warm weather activity is uh, hanging out with uh, friends and family outside. I've got three boys, so we're quite active during the summertime doing outdoor activities. One of my other favorite things to do is just grill some good food on the grill.
0: Okay, great. Thanks, Brock. Stan Loverman is a senior housing inspector for the city. Stan has been working for the city for 17 years, and one ordinance he oversees is sidewalk snow removal. Same question, Stan. What do you like to do in the spring and summer months?
2: Well, again, I like to be outside, uh, hanging out with family, um, but where Brock likes to grill, I like to smoke. So. Nothing like throwing a big primal cut of beef on the smoker and letting it sit there for 12 hours.
0: Excellent. As a lifelong Midwesterner, Ashley Monroe is no stranger to the snow and ice. She served 11 years in local governments in Illinois before moving to the city of Iowa City in 2016 to serve as the assistant city manager, a role she still holds today. Ashley, your turn. Any favorite warm weather hobbies you care to share?
3: Sure. I'm not the chef that these guys are, so um, my favorite activity would probably be sitting out on the deck in a shady spot with a book when it's warm.
0: Well, that sounds nice. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate it. Ashley, I want to begin with a question for you. This might seem fairly obvious, but what are some important services and factors for keeping the roads clear during a winter storm event?
3: Well, clearly, emergency services and access tops the list. So anybody can be subject to a medical emergency any time of day, night. So public safety, meaning you know, we think about public safety as police and fire, they're on the streets 24 hours a day and responding to calls. So in winter weather, environmental challenges like street access or slippery roads hinder response times. Fire calls rely on quick access to the fire hydrants. So putting out a fire in cold weather, precipitation like snow or rain is more difficult and dangerous than you'd imagine. Um, So ensuring that they have an immediate visual on your hydrants is essential. And I would also say that even things like water line breaks happen when the weather's not great, when it switches between periods of thaw and ice. Our residents are relying on water services uh, and repairs no matter the weather conditions. So keeping the streets clear, the hydrants visible helps get problems solved more efficiently.
0: Yeah, those are some good points. And I hadn't really thought about the fire hydrant one, but if you ever live on a corner of a street where you're near one of those, digging those out is important so they have quick access to it.
1: Absolutely. From a street's perspective side of things, we do help uh, with water main breaks in those freezing conditions because when water is flowing on the street, that that needs treated. And so Uh, The street division actually has to respond to some of those water main breaks as well. And then we are always on uh, call or standby for whenever there is an emergency with uh, the police department and the fire department. One of the most important things that we can do on the street side of things is to make sure that we streamline communication Uh, with those emergency services. And so we constantly keep them in the loop of what's going on and how they can get in touch with us and respond to those so that we can make sure from a street side of things that the public safety aspect of it has the response that they need when they need it.
0: Yeah, and that communication has got to be key across the board, probably for about everything we're going to talk about today.
1: Yeah, the the winter events in general are just, there's so many players in it. Uh, there's even, you know, school district that we talk to, and then there's special events that we actually have looped in with the university. Uh, living in a college town, having, you know, 20,000 people going to an event at eight o'clock at night changes the way we do things, and most most cities and towns don't have that.
0: Yeah, a lot of working parts. Yeah. For those that don't know, the city is divided into 13 different zones for plowing. Each street in those zones is prioritized into one of three levels. Brock, can you explain the plow priority routes and how those are determined?
1: So we have 13 different plow routes, and each of them is divided into those three different priority routes. Our first priority routes are our red routes on the map. Those red routes are our main arterial routes and our uh, transportation services bus routes. That ensures that our bus routes are first served. And then after that, our second priority routes are our blue routes. And those are our collector streets, so those that kind of funnel traffic to our arterial streets or anything that has a steep greater elevation to it. Uh, so anything with a hill on it or, uh, that would be very treacherous during slippery conditions. And then our last priority routes would be our green routes, which are lower volume, flat residential
0: streets. If you want to know what priority your street is on, you can go to icgov.org snow, and there's kind of a neat interactive map where you can, you can really see how those, those blue routes feed into the red routes and so on. When a snow event is active, what are some of the biggest obstacles that plow drivers run into when they're out?
1: You know, as crazy as it sounds, from a um, operational standpoint, snow events just come in in different ways. They're not—they're very unique to themselves. So each of them uh, present their own challenges. But ones that are, you know, common challenges that we have are just people out driving. That is always an obstacle because we need to plow the streets. More people out, harder for us to do that. The other one is just parked cars. They're parked across from each other, or we have to go around them. That slows us down. And then it also, there's some streets we cannot get through due to parking issues. And then just from a uh, operational standpoint, the other problems that we have is just things like equipment breakdown and then just employees getting rest. Some of these events are really long and folks don't have the ability to get the amount of rest that they need to fight these storms.
0: So Brock, during those longer storm events, maybe, you know, a day or two, How do you try and utilize your staff to the best ability when you are looking at constant activity?
1: So during a long event, we have to get creative with our staff. We do have 26 employees that work in streets and it is a battle to always have constant coverage for that public safety aspect of it. And we try to save all our employees hours if we can towards the end of the event for the cleanup of the event. So at times we'll adjust and we'll run a smaller crew uh, overnight to uh, help with those uh, police and fire calls and to keep the main drags open. But we try to save as many hours as we can towards the end of the event to get things cleaned up as fast as we can.
0: Ashley, we're kind of at the end of a budget cycle. There's a lot of unknowns when it comes to winter. How do you guys best predict that and kind of plan for not only staffing needs, but then supplies such as salt and equipment use?
3: Anytime we're reviewing the budget, we have to both look backwards and think about the potential for what could happen. So we do use the prior year's prediction, you know, prior year's example as a base for what to go to go with. If the winter was especially bad the year before like we had in our prior year, you know, we may be fairly confident that we might not see that again. Uh, we might budget a little bit less in salt and sand just out of the, the sheer will of hoping that it's not as bad <laughs> this year. But, you know, we have to be realistic in, in knowing that when it comes time to getting those supplies and whatever Streets needs to to do their work, we're going to get it uh, as long as it's available. Um, and so we, we have experienced overruns because of those needs. And and sometimes you come in a little bit short on the budget just because we didn't have as wet a year as we've had in the past. As far as staffing needs, we added a 13th snowplow route in the last couple of years. And I think we feel fairly confident at this point that that's doing the job for now. and, And we'll continue to assess what those needs are into the future if we need additional staff or routes.
0: Great. Thank you. Brock, you mentioned cars parked in the streets. One way to address that is to declare a snow emergency, which prohibits on-street parking to allow the roads to be fully cleared. Can you talk a little bit about how that's implemented? So a snow emergency is
1: declared when our public works director, city manager, will issue one. We look at things like how much snow is currently on the ground, what is forecasted how large windrows are currently up against parked cars. So then when we decide that we are going to declare one, we want to give people ample time to get their cars off the street and into parking ramps that are free overnight or the parks that are also an area for folks to park their vehicles. And then we also actually put up signs at City Hall that will declare a snow emergency. We declare them at your news stations. We declare them on Facebook, social media. And then uh, as you come into town, through your main thoroughfares, we actually put up signs that say there is a snow emergency in effect. We do have a lot of commuters that come in with the university and use on-street storage and things like that. So that would be the way for them to find out about that as they come into
0: town. Okay. And we talked a little bit about kind of how people are alerted. Can you discuss when a snow emergency is declared and how much time is allotted before the on-street parking is prohibited?
1: we would typically always give like four hours notice and then it's uh, it's like an 8 a.m to you know that evening and then overnight they would switch and it's the odd even parking so if it is an even calendar date you would park on the even side and if it's an odd you would park on the odd side and one of the other important reminders is is that all no parking signs are still enforced throughout the whole community so even if it is uh an odd day on an odd number of the street if it's no parking it's still no parking
0: We should mention that unlike some other neighboring communities, the city of Iowa City doesn't often declare a snow emergency. Ashley, can you explain the city's criteria for making that call and why those standards are perhaps maybe a little higher?
3: Well, I would agree with Brock's explanation of kind of the circumstances under which we would declare a snow emergency. It has to be like he said a significant amount of snow potentially already on the ground, especially dangerous conditions coming up. I think there's a cumulative kind of consideration of what makes it the right time to declare one. You know, when we think about the difference between Iowa City and some of our surrounding communities, they may have greater access to off-street parking than we do. Iowa City, just based on the age of certain neighborhoods or the layout of our streets, people just really rely on our street parking and when we say you've gotta move your car or the tow is gonna to come, we have to be really careful and decisive about when when those times are. The difficulty, as Brock mentioned, the just the time period in which we need to operate, messaging is really complex and difficult. So, you know, how do you alert thousands of drivers that are either in town or coming from out of town what a snow emergency means and how they need to react or respond all within a certain amount of time. So, we're again particularly careful about why we why we declare them and we want to make sure that we give people enough notice before declaring the emergency. It's really it's an inconvenience for a couple of days for the residents and and the vehicles that need to park and change where they're at. But for us it's it's just the way we've got to operate.
0: Yeah, and I suppose being a university town, having a certain portion of your population, being a a transient community that rotates in and out makes it especially difficult for messaging and and making sure that people clearly understand the ordinances.
1: It is very hard to get the message out to the college students whenever it does come about it seems.
0: Yeah we encourage anyone who's kind of living here to be following the city on on our social media outlets. That's one way that we're always going to notify too. We're going to put that up immediately. News outlets are also a great way and as Brock mentioned we'll put up signs around town too. If there is a snow emergency declared on street parking is prohibited let's say it's on the 13th of the month and somebody's parked on the odd side of the street what sort of consequences do you face if you aren't paying attention and you aren't following those? Brock, can you talk a little bit about the repercussions of that?
1: Uh, there's a ticket and there's a, uh, just the towing cost. So those can lead to upwards of $200 if you are in violation and do not get your vehicle moved fast enough.
0: And when we get excessive amounts of snow, that can impact some other city services and programs as well, such as trash collection, transit, programming through Parks and Rec or the Senior Center. Ashley, can you talk about a few of the ways that people can get informed on delays and closures?
3: Sure. So the easiest and fastest way to get information, go to icgov.org slash subscribe. Uh, you'll enter your email just one time, and then you click on one or more options to get a newsletter about whatever subjects and topics you're interested in. We have almost 60 probably newsletters and options for people to get we only contact you when there's an update, so sometimes it's as frequent as updates to a bus schedule or street closures, water main repairs, or hours of operation that have changed. Sometimes it's just a once-a-month newsletter, your, your choice.
0: So it's really nice to customize and, and just get what you want to know.
3: Absolutely. All forms of information you can rely on.
0: And it's not just the streets that we need to be concerned about during the winter. Keeping our pedestrians safe requires sidewalks to be cleared as well. Stan, you've been waiting patiently. Can you explain the guidelines for clearing walks?
2: Yeah, they're pretty straightforward. So following uh, a snowfall of more than an inch or ice of any accumulation, 24 hours after that event, those sidewalks are required to be cleared full width and down to concrete.
0: And you talked about the 24-hour time frame. Again, I'm supposing that's designed to allot enough time for people to get to it, knowing that you know people may be working multiple jobs or have different work hours and just not available.
2: Yeah, it's designed to accommodate the homeowner or the, the resident of the property to uh, allow them time to take care of their sidewalk.
0: And being a university town, we've got a lot of renters. How often do you run into the situation where the renter isn't sure if it's their responsibility or the landlord's?
2: Quite a bit. We've tried to address this in different ways. Anytime you sign a lease in Iowa City, there's a required information disclosure form that's part of that. In that information disclosure form, it spells out who's in charge of snow removal from the public sidewalks.
0: Okay, so probably have that conversation ahead of time and pay attention to your lease paperwork. (laughs) Another thing homeowners and renters alike need to consider is having your walk shoveled when you're gone, such as winter break for university students or anytime you really go on vacation one of those things that's easy to forget is that something that you guys kind of recommend is is reaching out to a neighbor or a friend
2: or we see that quite a bit where people are out of town for an extended period of time and uh, it's one of those things that that slips their mind unfortunately we, we see that from time to time and yeah it's better to reach out to your neighbor or to have a friend check up on your sidewalk so it's taken care of so you don't have a nasty surprise when you get back
0: and when you guys are looking at response to a big snow event, we've had a couple already this winter, how many complaints would you guys receive on an average storm, and how do you guys respond to those, and what's the what's the process you follow there?
2: Sure. So for this last snow event, we're, we started out at about 160 complaints when we started. We have dedicated staff that deals directly with nuisance complaints, and then along with that, there, there's just too many complaints for just the two of them to take care of, so... Our housing inspection staff, in between other inspections, helps out in multiple ways, either with initial inspections or dealing with paperwork to make sure that notification gets out in a timely fashion.
0: And also along the lines of kind of giving the fair opportunity, there isn't a fine immediately. There's a warning first, correct?
2: Exactly. So for the first time, there's a, an orange flyer that's put on your door, uh, which spells out what requirements are, are needed to be taken care of. And a letter is also sent to the owner of the property because ultimately the owner of the property is responsible for removing the snow from the sidewalk. For additional complaints, you're not given a warning and it's spelled out in in that initial notification that you're given that you're given notification once a year. uh, And then there's an expectation that you remember for each additional snowfall that you're taking care of that snow.
0: And if anybody wants to look at the sidewalk ordinance and read the details, you can find that at icgov.org slash property management. That kind of spells it out step by step there. We talked a little bit about the rules. Ashley, can you talk about why this is so crucial and making sure that sidewalks are accessible?
3: Well, a sidewalk is considered a public way and needs to remain accessible for all people to move through that space safely. So the city has standards that it has to uphold regarding requirements from the Americans with Disabilities Act. So this applies to public properties and residential sidewalks. Commercial type properties like retail stores are also required to abide by similar standards, but they're a different set of ADA standards. And so we wanna make sure that walkways and ramps are cleared to allow for safe passage for all of our pedestrians.
0: And we talked a little bit earlier that if you have a fire hydrant near your home, it's nice to clear that out. Same thing goes with a curb ramp. Really helpful if you can get out there and clear that out for for anybody who may have limited mobility and just to make it accessible for everybody.
3: I would say the curb ramps especially were one of those things that our residents really struggled with uh, last year when we had the big snows and, and ice. Everywhere from right in the middle of downtown to further out in the neighborhoods that have a lot of pedestrian traffic. Our office and the city manager's office would hear a lot about that and from the public, from all angles, about the difficulty in crossing the street without jumping over a big you know, pile of snow or, or slushy ice or, or something like that. And I know Stan's crew heard a lot about that as well and our response has always just kind of been that it's the property owner's responsibility to try and try and get at it or we we would like to encourage people to do that to make it safe for everybody
0: we had a great episode last summer on accessibility and inclusivity and we talked just about that really drove the point home of kind of looking at it from someone else's perspective Uh, and if you haven't heard that one i encourage you to go give that a listen back to you stan let's say i have experienced an uncleared walk in my neighborhood what are some different ways that I can make a
2: complaint? So the easiest way is if you go to the city's website, icgov.org, uh, right on the the top header, there's a place for report a concern. That's the easiest way. If it's something that you're seeing on a frequent basis, we also have a mobile app currently called IC Gov Express. It allows you to snap a picture, and it goes directly to the person that needs to handle it.
0: It is a handy resource. Right. That city online reporting app really makes it simple to ask a question or file a complaint. I've used it from anything from you know reporting a pothole to asking a question about my organics collection. If you don't have it, download it, try it, use it. It's really helpful. As we wrap up the conversation about winter weather safety, I wanted to give each of you a chance to pass along kind of one final word of wisdom, something you'd like listeners to take away from this conversation. Brock, can we start with you?
1: Sure. For us in the streets, The winters can be long, storms can be long. My advice would be if you don't have to be out, please don't be out. And if you have the ability to get your cars off the road, please do so.
2: Okay, Stan? Sure, I guess mine would be a little bit along that, that while we do give you 24 hours to clear your sidewalks, that if you do wait 24 hours and all your neighbors are walking over your sidewalk, you're going to be hating life. So I would encourage you to take multiple trips out to your sidewalk and just keep it as clear as possible at all times.
0: That's good advice. I live on a pedestrian heavy street and if you wait more than just a few hours it, it gets packed down pretty quick. Ashley?
3: I would say we should be mindful of the fact that snow management is really a collaborative effort. So our residents are, are responsible in doing their own part which we appreciate and You know, our staff is out there either monitoring to make sure that it's safe and and healthy for people to move about the community and Brock's team that's out in those trucks in all, all weather, you know, in all conditions, trying to, again, clear the way for everybody to move about our community safely. So just being mindful that there are real people doing these jobs and we appreciate their work and appreciate the work that the residents are doing on their part, too.
0: Yeah, if you ever want to feel very appreciated, go out and shovel your neighbor's walk before they get to it. That's it for the conversation. It's been great talking with you guys. I really appreciate it, and thanks for taking the time to share your knowledge with us and the hard work you do, not just during winter, but year-round. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Along with our guests, we'd like to thank the Iowa City Public Library, where we record this podcast series. If you enjoyed listening, please follow Iowa City Matters on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. We also toss episodes on our website at icgov.org slash iowacitymatters. We appreciate your support for this program and hope you'll continue to listen, learn, and engage. Until next time, Iowa City.